you very much. Right. It takes an army to get that accomplished, and, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I went to buy a new pillow. And has anybody ever bought it, like recently bought a pillow? Recently bought a pillow? There are so many options. Like you go and there's options with gel. There's options that are, are made with like feathers from angels. There, you know, there, there's just all these kind of options. There's options like cool options, like it stays cool all night. I, I'm going to debate that little cool gel thing. I don't think it's going to stay cool all night, especially me, because sometimes I sweat at night. Anybody else sweat at night sometimes? Yeah, you just sweat on your pillow, whatever. I know that's nasty, but it's a reality. Right, so I went to buy a pillow, and I went to a place in Winston, and um, you have to know this. So I'm not making a political statement. I'm just this is part of the story. Okay, so I walk in, and all the employees have masks on, which they have to have on to work there. No problem with that. I'm, I'm good with all that. So I went in the store, and I got to the pillow section. It's a pretty lengthy, huge pillow section, and so I started trying out the pillows. So I picked up a pillow, it said that this was soft, and I laid it on a box, and I put my head down on it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, not that one. And I go through it, and I actually tried all the pillows. I was looking for a specific side, laying, laying my hand down. And I, and I got it down to two pillows that I was, I was between. But this was like a 15-minute experience for me, you know, picking up a pillow, putting the pillow there, all that kind of stuff. And when I was down to two pillows, I hadn't been really watching people around me, but, but I noticed that there were three employees that were just in my vicinity. They were kind of messing with the pillows. One of them had a cart that had like two pillows in it already, and, and they were kind of just in the vicinity of me doing this pillows. Well, I was, I was picking these, and I was picking these. I looked back at the two employees, and they had multiplied the amount of pillows in their cart. Now they have four rather than two. So I didn't know what was, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Wasn't really thinking about it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get this pillow. Well, right before I made that decision, the third employee came up to me and said, is there anything we can help you with? I said, no, I'm, I'm just trying out pillows today. I'm trying to get the right one so that I can sleep at night. So she said, okay, well, just let me know if you need help. And she just kind of stayed near me, right? <laughs> I don't know if you see this body top, but if I tried to steal a pillow from this place, you would know it. It was a king size pillow. So, are you with, so I don't. So I was like, well, they must really have theft of pillows here. So I'm, I'm going through, and I picked one, and I go up to pay for it, and I get up to the register, and I had a female moment. I said, nope, I want the other one. So I went back. Oh, come on, that's good. That's good. That's good. Okay. So I go back, and I get the other one, and when I go back. There are now three carts that have pillows in them. And I went back, and the lady looked at me, um, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm just going to get the other pillow real quick. So I put that one back, and I got this pillow, and I left. And as I was leaving, I kind of did one of these. She took that pillow. She picked that pillow up. And so I went around the corner. They were collecting. This is my hypothesis. This might not even be it. This might be just me making up something in my mind, okay? So I'm... I'm going to put that out there. I think they were getting the pillows that I had put my head on so that they could kind of scrub them down to make sure that nobody got whatever disease this looked like that I had, right? <laughs> we don't want to pass out whatever this is right here all to other people. So I think that they were actually 
wiping them down or, or whatever they were doing. And it took three of them because I was there a long time. And I, I literally tried every kind of pillow that they had, right? So I created work for three employees at this place, you know, in Winston-Salem. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And they probably talked about me. You know that guy that came in and tried all the pillows and then we had to wipe them off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there is this. How many of you have ever heard that in a given year, in your sleep, you swallow six spiders? Raise your hand. Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. We've heard that, right? So you'd swallow six spiders. Have you ever thought about that question and how they know that information? Have you ever been driving in your car, let's say, on Dickens Bottom Road, and it just came to you and you started imagining what happened as they tried to get that particular information about six spiders? It would have to be like someone that's sleeping and then someone with a clipboard beside the bed and they watch all night long. They're just waiting for the spider to come. And it's just six, so 52 Week, well, oh, 52 weeks. Oh, man, I did that wrong in the first service. 365 days. Yeah, they just went with it. They're very nice people. <laughs> There's a percentage of them that don't know math, obviously, but they're very nice people. So <laughs> 365 days that they're sitting there just waiting for a spider. And can you imagine like a spider just starting to crawl up and the guy with the clip going, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And it actually goes in the mouth, and he goes, I got one, and he checks it. Can you imagine? It, what kind of sick individual would sit there with a the clipboard while a spider is going in somebody's mouth and not stop it, right? So then I went to, maybe they, they put up cameras. Can we put a camera in your bedroom and so we can watch you sleep at night? And maybe people signed up for this. There are crazy people in the world that would sign up for this. And then, you know, okay, we're going through the tape. Okay, there's a spider. Or, or they went to a house, they counted all the spiders, and at the end of every week, they continued to count the spiders. So if it's down one, one went in somebody's mouth <laughs> would be their conclusion because that would be obvious, Right? right? Nothing else could possibly happen to the spider besides just, well, the, the quotation you know, is going down. Yeah, the spiders. So have you ever had a dream? Anybody ever had a dream? Yeah, I recently had a dream too. I, I, I have literally lost my first favorite wedding bed, okay? I'm wearing my second favorite wedding bed, but my first favorite, I've, I've lost that wedding bed. don't know where it is. And it must be really on my mind because I dreamed about it just a couple of days ago. And in my dream, I found it. It had attached itself to my big toe, right? And then I had to pull it off my big toe and say, hey, no, look, Nicole, I found it, right? That sort of deal. I'm not sure how it got attached to the toe. The dream didn't tell me that. But when I woke up, um, this is what I didn't do. I, I didn't write a song about it, right? Have you ever woke up from a dream and thought, hey, I could really make that into a hit? I could really make that into a song, and you just went and you went, yeah, let me just write that down. Have you ever did that? Like, toe, I could have done it with the toe ring. I'm not going to tell you the song I came up with, but nonetheless, it, it, is, it is like, you know, a song, yeah. So none of us in here has ever woke up from a dream and said, hey, that is going to make a great song. I need to write that down. Well, this morning in our passage, which is, which is Psalm chapter 50, the writer of that psalm did just that. He went to sleep, he had a dream, and he wrote it down. So I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. Chapter 50. 
Psalm chapter 50. And we're going to start reading actually a little bit before the verse starts. And this is what it says. It might say this in your Bible. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Your Bible's still good. Um, but it says, a psalm of Asaph. So who is Asaph? Who, why is his name right there? Well, number one, the, the writer is giving you a time period. It's also giving you the person that actually wrote this particular psalm. And Asaph was one of several groups of people that would sing in the tabernacle during the reign of David. So you would have Asaph, and then you would have these people called the sons of Korah, which would also sing. And then you would have King David. Because every now and then, King David was like, hey, I wrote a song. Can we do it for worship? And the answer was, yes, we could do that for worship, right? Because he was very musical, very musical. So if you think in terms of like... Um, like Winter Jam, you, you know what Winter Jam is, or Fate Fest, and you have all these groups coming. Well, these were the groups in that day. It, was, it would be ASAP, be Sons of Korah, it'd be King David, and everybody would get excited because they would be performing um, in the tabernacle. Now, if you don't think that David actually led worship, he did. And there's several passages of Scripture where he is actually leading worship. Like, for instance, when the um, Ark of the Covenant came into the city, and he's dancing in the streets. Whether you know it or not, he's actually le leading the whole city in worship. So he's dancing, and he's singing, and his wife hates it for some reason, and he gets on turn later. You know that story, but um, he, he really leads people in worship. So David is leading people in worship. The sons of Korah, which would be like passion, like the passion group in our day, would be leading people in worship. Asap, um, I don't know who we could compare him to, but King David, I mean, David Crowder. I think there's a correlation there, right? Because King David, I don't know if you know this, played a lot of instruments. And if you ever go to a Crowder concert, he might switch instruments three times in a given song and play just different things. And he has some weird-looking instruments, too. So anyway, that's kind of the context. So Asap has gone to sleep and that night, he had a dream, and he woke up, and he wrote about that dream. So verse 1 says this, <clears throat> The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. So at the beginning of this dream, he has a, he has a vision of, of God, and he's, he's, you know, summoning the entire earth for a meeting. That's everybody in the entire earth, the entire planet. And they're all coming to this meeting. From the rising of the sun to its setting, everybody on the planet. In verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So here, he not only hears a summoning. Let me slow down a minute. My mind's going faster than my mouth is. He's not only summoning all these people to come. But he's also there himself, and he's shining forth. Now, anytime in Scripture where you see God shining forth, it's for a couple of purposes. But the purpose here is to actually reveal something that's happening. So he comes forth with light so that there will be no darkness in his presence. So that's the picture here. And verse 3 says, Our God comes, he does not keep silent. 
In other words, he's loud when he comes on the screen, on the scene. And before him is a devouring fire. So God's coming in and he has his own procession. And there's this fire that's devouring everything in front of him. Nobody can stand in front of this fire. Nobody at all. And then it says, it says, um, around him is a mighty tempest. So we have this devouring fire, and then we have this tempest that's all the way around him. And it's kind of like if you could picture a hurricane that's doing this, and God in the middle of it. So he's walking through, and here's all this stuff. Here's, here's the fire, here's God, the tempest, and it's just a loud moment. Everybody knows that he is coming on the scene, and he has called them to wherever he is going to be. Now, this isn't the first time in Scripture that God has appeared as a storm. If you remember back at Mount Sinai, he appears there to give the commandments to Moses, and it is a storm on the mountain. And throughout Scripture, God appears in this mighty, powerful storm. It is a symbol that God is powerful, that he is, is a judging God, that he is on the scene to do something for his people. So he's calling them all together for this moment. And verse 4 says, And he calls the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. So now we get a sense with what this dream was actually about, and it's a courtroom scene. So God is, God is in court, and he's calling all the people of the entire world to this courtroom. And he is going to judge them. So he's having them all come. He is coming to the room. The people are there. And there's a courtroom. He is going to judge. In verse 6, um, sorry, verse 5, Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is the judge, Selah. And then he stops a moment. Courtroom. Everybody in the world, right there, including God's faithful people. And God is about to pronounce judgment. Now, when you get to verse 6, you start to think, oh, well, this must be the end times. This must be when Jesus comes back, and then everybody is gathered for a judgment. Well, that is a judgment that's in the future, but that is not the judgment right now that Asap is seeing. In fact, this judgment has to do with Asap's time period. And what is happening in Asap's time period? So what is happening in Asap's time period? Well, King David is on the throne. It's a time of prosperity. Everything is good. In the tabernacle, they are going to worship, and there are crowds going to the tabernacle. Everybody is sacrificing. Everybody is there at the tabernacle. Everybody is participating in their faith. It is an unprecedented time in the world. Everything is good. So people, every seven days, come with their sacrifices. They come lifting their hands to praise to God. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. Asap thinks it's incredible. Asap's part of the writing crew that leads these people in worship. Asap is in charge of 250 singers and 250 musicians. Can you imagine that? And what that would be like for you to hear that? But that's what he's in charge of. And so God is coming to judge in that moment in a time of prosperity. So what in the world is God going to judge them on? It seems that they're following God. It seems that they're following his commandments. 
it seems that they are doing exactly what God wants them to do. They're bringing sacrifices and they're worshiping just like the Old Testament says. So what in the world is God wanting to judge? And it's in this moment that Asap realizes in his dream that he has one view of what worship is, but God has another view. So the way Asap has seen the prosperity and the awesomeness of it all, God is seeing it from a different perspective than what Asap is. So we move to verse 7, and the, and the dream continues. It says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. So in this courtroom, there isn't a prosecuting attorney. There isn't a defense attorney. There isn't a, a jury that's making a deliberation as to whether or not the person is guilty or not. It is God who is the judge and the prosecutor. And he does not need any witnesses. He does not need any jury because he already knows the hearts of the people that he has called into the courtroom. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a sobering thought. It is a sobering thought that the one person, there's one person in the universe you cannot hide your heart from, and it is God. And it's in this moment that he calls them there, and he is investigating. He's going to make a judgment on their hearts. So verse 8 says this, Not, he word not, for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. This is what he's saying. Y'all are doing great at the rituals. You are keeping my commandments. I cannot say anything about that. You're there every seven days. On the Sabbath, you are worshiping. On the Sabbath, you are offering sacrifices. You're keeping my feasts. You're keeping my festivals. You're going through the motions. You are doing that. I cannot say anything bad about that. Now, I want to bring up a point here. It is a good thing for you to be in the habit of coming to church. It is a good thing for you to be in the habit of doing your devotions. It's a very good thing for you to be in the habit of praying. It's good to have rituals in your life. God approves of that. It's good for you to have a ritual of worship. It's good. God says you should have that. But in this dream, he's going to take it one step further and say, if that's all you have, which I can't speak against, because I told you to do it. If that's all you have, you do not really have a deep worship experience. You have a shallow worship experience. So if all you're doing is the rituals, that's good, but it's shallow. You know, in the Christian world, we have this con concept and this conversation about what is deep worship and what is shallow worship. And generally, when people talk about this, they talk about it in the sense of style. Like, that style of worship is shallow, and that style of worship is deep. That style of worship has content, and that style of worship just repeats words over and over again, and it's just not what it should be. And I'm telling you this morning that when God looks at worship, that conversation is a shallow conversation because worship and the depth of worship has nothing to do with style. And if you would read your Bible, you would know that one day when we are in heaven, we're going to repeat the same words over and over and over and over again. And here are the words to the song. Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to repeat it over and over and over and over and over again because he is holy and he is almighty. And we're going to be in awe of his presence. So if we think for any instance that a style is deeper than another, we have lost it. And God says that shallowness is you going through the motions. Listen, I've, I've been... I'm not saying anything bad about churches, but I've been in all types of styles of churches. All of them are worshiping in my book. Some people worship with hymn books, and it just seems like they're just standing up with the hymn book, and they're singing the hymn book. That is perfectly fine to me. There's other places that have, like, lights and guitars and all kinds of stuff going on on stage, and that's perfectly fine. They are worshiping God. That is the way that they do it. And we do it the way that we do it here. It is not the style that makes it shallow or deep. It is something more profound. Something more profound. So if you are in habit of coming to church, that is absolutely incredible. But if you want to take your worship to a deeper level, God is going to tell us what to look out for in order for us to do it. So he continues in the passage of Scripture. He says this, Verse 8, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your, birth, your burnt offerings are continually before me. Verse 9, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the field is mine. You can underline that. It's the first time he's going to use that. The cattle in the thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Second time he used that phrase. If I were hungry... I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So the first problem that they were having, the first thing that was preventing them from going into a deeper worship experience was the fact that they were bringing gifts to God because they thought he needed them. So they were bringing bulls and goats and sacrifices because in the back of their mind, they were thinking that they were going to appease God for some reason. And they were giving him something that he needed, something that he wanted. And God says, I don't need your bulls. I don't need your goats. And if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you because all that stuff is mine anyway. You're basically re-gifting me every time you come to worship. It's what you're doing. Yeah, you're regifting me this stuff. I don't need it. It's already mine. But I think sometimes Christians do the same thing. We just think of it a little differently, maybe. Sometimes Christians come to church because they feel like if they come to church, God will owe them a good week. They come to church and they're faithful to come to church and study the scripture so that God will give them something else. So there's a weight and balance. It's if I do this, God will bless me. If I do this, God will give me this. If I do this, God will do, me, do this. So there's a balance going on. I'm giving God this. He wants it. He loves it. So he's going to give me something that I want. It's kind of a give and take. But I want to tell you this. You are not in a marriage with the God of the universe. It is not a give and take relationship. It is all God giving to you, really. 
And then you're coming to him for a total different reason. It's not to give back to God. It's not that because he somehow needs something, because he needs nothing at all. It is for a different purpose that you come to the house of worship to worship him. And it's not this balancing thing. It's not to give him something that you need. It is a total different thing. And here's what it is. This is verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The reason you come to worship is because you are grateful, because you are indebted to God. He is not indebted to you at all. He does not have to give you anything. He doesn't even need you. He does not even need me. We are indebted to God. He created us. He loves us. And he shouldn't. Right? He shouldn't love us, but he does. I have given God a lot of reasons to kick me by the curb. And you have given God a lot of reasons to kick you by the curb. There is absolutely no reason that God should even be involved in your life. And when you come to worship, if you want to go on a deeper level than just the shallow ritual that you can come in and do in obedience, you come into that worship experience with gratitude for what God has done for you. I am thankful, Lord, for what you have done for me. And I am here today to connect with you, to worship you. I am going to sing with all my heart. I'm going to be so grateful because I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve your love, but you are a deserving God. And I am going to give you my gratitude. I am so thankful. The moment that we lose the heart of thankfulness, is the moment that we start worshiping God in a shallow way and is the moment that we start giving God so that he can give something to us. Gratitude prevents that. I am grateful this morning that I was able to get up out of my bed. I am grateful this morning that I was able to walk into my bathroom and take a shower. I know people who can't do that. I was grateful that my wife woke up and we traveled to church together. That is a rarity, but that's a gift from God. It doesn't matter how I feel about her. It's a gift, <laughs> it's a gift from God. <laughs> that's just a joke, All right? Yeah, so we, we, we got to do things. I am sitting here this morning being able to breathe, I'm a little hot right now, like I'm sweating in this room, you know, I'm a little warm, but, but nonetheless, I mean, it, it, is, it is nice to be able to, to sweat in God's house. It is great to be here with you as believers. There is a lot of things to be grateful for, not just salvation, not just salvation. Salvation is a big one. Man, there's a lot of things to be grateful for. I'm grateful that this weekend that God allowed my kids to come to the Chicken Stew Plus. They left last night, but they slept in my house last night for the first time. Like, that, that, is, a, 
that's just an awesome feeling for a parent to have your two kids that have been away sleeping in your house one night. There's something complete about it. I had a great night, night of rest on, on Friday night when they were in my house under my roof. I don't want them to live there, but I'm glad that they, you know, I'm glad. It was, it was just a great, a great moment. See, there's a lot to be grateful for. Grateful for. When you come to church, if you want a, a deep experience in worship, you come to church with gratitude. You come to church with gratitude. So he continues in this, and he's saying, okay, shallow, you have to have gratitude. You don't bring me something because I don't need anything from you. That's not why you bring gifts. You give gifts because it's a privilege. Let me just pause there a moment to say this. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. But the 10% tithe of the tithe and given to the church and given to his work is a privilege. It's just a privilege. And you're already giving him stuff that he already gave to you, right? So you give him your service last evening during the chicken stew for those that served and for those that serve other places in this church, when you give to him in that way, it's not because he needs it, but it's because you appreciate God and what he's done for you. So you're going to make sure that his work continues in this world because that's what you're called to do. It's, it's a gratitude sort of thing. The gift is a gratitude sort of thing because he doesn't need it, but we give it to him because of gratitude. So verse 16 says this, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statues or take my covenant on your lips? For you have hated discipline and you cast my words behind you. So what he's saying here is that, you know, when you come to worship in the tabernacle and you're singing praises and everything's positive, that's great and that's good. But then you go out to your neighbor and you're wicked to your neighbor. You start gossiping about your neighbor, start slandering your neighbor, and the words aren't matching. The words that you use to worship God is not the same words that you use during the week. And he's not referring to the actual words, he's referring to the positivity. So he's saying that if you are criticizing people on the side and you're criticizing your brothers on the side and, and you're, you're really kind of just nasty with your words during the week, there's an inconsistency between your worship, which is positive, and what you are actually living by during the week. Make your words match. Make your words match. Make your words match. Act, at least act like you're grateful that God has blessed you, and so you talk in a positive way to other people during the week. Make it match. So he, he's talking about these words. He's also talking about people, because he says, you cast my words behind you. He's talking about people that can recite the Ten Commandments, but they cast them behind them and live their week breaking the Ten Commandments. So if you're going to worship and you want a deeper level, a deeper level is you're obedient to God every day that you live. You stay obedient to him. You stay obedient to his word. No matter how hard it is to stay obedient, you stay obedient. And you enter into this place, into the worship house, with a heart of gratitude and looking behind on a week where you tried your best to keep his word. And that's all he requires for you to try your best. Because he already knows that when we try our best, we're still going to fail from time to time. We're still going to sin during the week. 
What he doesn't want is for us just to cast those words behind us and not even think about. Not even think about the fact that we just sinned, that we just did something wrong. So he wants us to come with a heart of obedience. So shallow is going through the motions. He says, hey, I can't condemn you for that. But man, you need to come with gratitude and you need to come with obedience. Keep my word. Verse 18, you see a thief and you're pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. This verse is talking about you put up with other people's sins. Um, so I thought about this a little bit. You, you put up with other people's sins. Why would people put up with other people's sins that they are not doing? And here's why. Because they have a slew of sins over here that they're doing. And if they feel like they can put up with these people, they feel better about the sins that they are doing. Does that, does that make sense? I can give you an illustration. If, these, if you're on a diet and these people are eating ice cream, right? They're eating ice cream over here. Man, it, it looks great, but you're on a diet. And you're thinking, man, they're big enough to be on a diet, but they're eating that ice cream, right? I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying you're thinking that in your mind because we're all human. So you're like, okay, I can have my Hershey bar. It's not ice cream, but I can have my Hershey bar over here, right? But you feel comfortable with your Hershey bar because... These people over here are eating ice cream. Have you ever tried to go on a diet? I'm going to draw this out a little bit. This is new for me. Um, have you ever gone on a diet with your, with your spouse in the house going on a diet at the same time? And you both commit, you're going to keep this particular diet in the house, right? And then let's say that your wife, because that's who I would marry, is, is my wife. Um, she decides that she's going to start eating chocolate and, and all this stuff over here. So I'm like, man. That's okay. I can, I can put up with that. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to eat my ice cream. Because right? I'm going to feel good about eating my ice cream because she's disobeying her diet over here, and we'll just renege on our diet together. Is everybody tracking with this? We do the same thing with sin. These people over here are thieves, but I'm over here committing adultery. These people over here are lying, but I'm over here gossiping. And it's just fine because they're sinners. We're all sinners together. We're all on a level playing field. So we all feel good that everybody else is a worse sinner than we are. So we feel better about our sin because somebody else is a worse sinner than we are. That is not how it works. It's not how it works. All sin prevents you from having a deep worship experience with God. All sin does. And you can't be accepting of someone else's sin. You can be gracious and merciful, but you can't be accepting. And you don't accept yours either. By the way, this verse 8, 16, and I think this is an interesting little detail... Um, if you see a thief, you're pleased with him. And if you keep company with adulteresses, um, I don't know if you remember the story. You probably do. Uh, Bathsheba and King David did some things they shouldn't have done, right? And then it, it lasted for about a, a year or so. Like he, he did this stuff and then he killed her husband and then everything was silent for a little while. And then right over here, there was this prophet named Nathan that gave like a parable of this guy over here, this poor man over here had a sheep, and, and then this person over here had a lot of sheep, but the guy over here re really wanted his sheep. So in the middle of night, he went over and killed this guy, and he took his sheep to be his own sheep, right? And David comes and says, I want to kill that guy. Remember that story? This particular verse right here 
if you see a thief, you're pleased with him, is a reference to that Nathan story, the prophet Nathan story, and then you keep company with the adulteress is a reference to what David had done. Isn't that amazing? I think that this was written before that Nathan experience. I have nothing to back that up. It's just me thinking. So don't take that home as the gospel. I just think that this happened right before then. And God was even trying to get King David's attention at that moment. Because King David, during that year period, was going to the tabernacle every Sabbath, singing the songs that he wrote, raising his hands in worship. But in his heart, he had a very dark sin that was preventing him from a deeper relationship with his Savior. Do you see how that works? So we, we take care of those deep things, and God in his sovereignty and grace forgives us and brings us back so that we could have a deep relationship with him. Verse 19, you give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. That's what we were talking about earlier about gossip. You sit, sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that if that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. So verse 22, mark this then. If you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me, to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So let's end with this. A deeper worship experience that God wants to have with you has to do, and I've said this in the sermon, with gratitude and making sure that your sins are forgiven and your heart is right. That's just the basics of it all. What we need to understand is the sacrifices that they were making in the Old Testament was for God to be able to connect with the people that he loved. Because without those sacrifices, God couldn't connect with the people that he loved. So the sacrifices wasn't for God's need. It was for our need of a connection with the God that created us. And he supplied that for us. That's what he supplied for us. So Jesus on the cross did the same thing. His sacrifice allows God to connect with us. It allows us to connect with God. It's not because God needed Jesus to die. It's because we needed the sacrifice in order to have a deep relationship with the God that created us. That was the vehicle. So you work one more step down from you're saved and now you're worshiping. It is the worship experience that is the vehicle for God's presence to be in this room and to connect with you on a Sunday morning. Worship is that vehicle. The Word of God teaches you how to live, but worship allows you to experience God in a new way. If you're just going through the motions, you're not going to have that deep personal relationship with God as you worship. He reveals himself to us as we sing praises to him. It is by no mistake that Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I am in their midst. And you might not know math, but you know that there's more than two Christians in this room right now. And when we are gathered together, that is the moment that God has, that is the system that God has put into place for him to show up and talk to our hearts in a very deep way. 
and we feel him. We feel his presence. We know that he's with us, and we do that in worship. So worship isn't just something that we do. It's not just a style. It's not just all this other stuff to be cool or not cool or traditional or not traditional, all that kind of stuff like that. It is a vehicle for us to have a personal experience with a personal creator. And let me tell you, between us and God, I think God wants to have a personal relationship with you sometimes more than we want to have a relationship with him. And that alone is enough for us to be grateful and worship him like we should. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you for ASAP. To this morning in this room, I don't know how you worked. I know how you worked on my heart this week, but I don't know how you worked in this room. So what I pray is for that person that knows that they have that deep sin in their heart and they just need a breakthrough. They desire to have a deeper relationship with you in worship, a deeper worship experience with you. I pray this morning that by the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, that you'll convict them of that sin and they'll ask forgiveness for it. And you'll open the door for them to connect with you. So Father, we love you. We ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. We're singing two worship songs at the end of this service today. I'll be up here for this one. Um, if you need me to pray with you, or if you want to present yourself to the church. So as we sing. When the music fades 